Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City jazz bassist Ben Leifer. He was born in Topeka, Kansas to a musical family and started to study music early in life and played the electric bass by the age of 14. He eventually picked up the upright bass at the age of 17, and that led him to study bass and composition at the University of Missouri-Kansas City's Conservatory of Music under the legendary Bobby Watson. And these days, he is a staple on a thriving Kansas City jazz scene. We'll let him explain. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. So Ben, it's been a long time. It's a pleasure to finally have a chance to speak with you here at Neon Jazz. Absolutely. So what I want to do is I want to dive right in here, and before we get to live gigs, which I've seen you gig so many times live, you probably are one of the most prolific players in this town. I want to know, first of all, what like CD projects that you're involved with or anything that might be on the horizon since we're talking about a new year here. Oh, man, yeah, absolutely. I've got uh, a bunch of stuff out, nothing under my name yet. Um, although that's something that I'm looking forward to doing in the next year or so. Let's see. In the past, I've recorded uh, with a numerous, uh, number of projects, including uh, Diverse, their first two albums. Uh, you know, Diverse with Herman Mahari and Ryan Lee. I've recorded with Steve Lambert. I've recorded with, yeah, just uh, just all kinds of people. Um, Matt Villinger. I've recorded with Shay Estes, Mark Lowry. Yeah, it's it's been actually a really good last couple of years for recording here. So, yeah, in the future, I'm definitely looking forward to doing my own project. I have my own group called Plus Minus, and we've been playing off and on for the last couple of years. Uh, that features John Kazilamut on the drums. I'm sure you know John. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Matt Villinger on piano, and also another pianist, Andrew Ouellette. You know, the one thing, too, I guess I want to highlight, just so the audience and the world at large can know where to catch you, you're always out on the scene, whether, you, you know, I see you at the Blue Room or at the Green Lady, the Black Dolphin, you're always out and about. So kind of give me some kind of a regular rundown of, of where people can see you. Uh, yeah, sure. Every week I play at the Majestic on Tuesday and Wednesday night. That has been my longest-running regular gig. Uh, I, I used to I started on Tuesdays with Herman Mahari about five years ago, I want to say, and then when he left, uh, Peter Schlam took the gig. So I play on Tuesday nights with Peter Schlam and Ryan Lee, and then on uh, Wednesdays I play with Matt Villinger and Ryan Lee. Um, so that that's your best bet if you want to go see me play, because those are my regular gigs. But, yeah, I, I I try to get around and I try to play everywhere. Uh, this month I'm playing a lot at the Blue Room um, with just <laughs> kind of all different kinds of people. So, yeah. That's a good problem to have for sure. You're originally from Topeka, Kansas, and you come from a musical family. So give me an idea of what your childhood was like, wh- how you got into music and even jazz. Yeah, I kind of got into it. And I guess you could say I, I came in backwards. Like a lot of a lot of my friends, a lot of people um, came in and they said, "Oh, I, I heard this Charlie Parker album, or I heard this, you know, uh, Miles Davis album, or John Coltrane." Um, but that's kind of the opposite of how it happened for me. I started listening to, I guess, in high school, like a lot of stuff like uh, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, um, because I had taken guitar lessons from a guy named Andy McKee. So he taught out of a little place called Steam Music, and he was uh, he came in after the teacher that I had uh, left, 
And so I took guitar lessons from Andy for a little bit before we ended up switching to bass. Uh, so let me, you know what, let me go back because it's kind of a, a weird, funny story. So I, I wanted to play guitar forever. I just thought it was really cool. I wanted to, I liked the image of it, but I had terrible stage fright. I had grown up, I tried to play violin when I was young, and I loved the violin, but as soon as I had my first recital, I got so scared that I quit forever the first time I was on stage. So years went by, and then I decided I, I wanted to try to pick up the guitar, um, and my parents bought me a guitar, and I had lessons with a the guy there. And when Andy came in, uh, it just so happened that uh, around that time, I had been sick home from school. I would guess I was like 13, maybe 12 or 13 at the time. And my brother, who's also a great musician, a great drummer, was really into Dave Matthews' band at the time. And he had ordered a DVD of some live performance of theirs, you know. And it came the day that I was homesick. So I watched it. You know, I didn't know who they were or anything. And I sat there and I watched it. And I just thought, man, the bass player, he's way in the back. He's doing all this great stuff, and he's cool, but he's standing way in the back, and he's not getting any of the attention, and that really gelled with me. So the next time I had a guitar lesson with Andy, I just kind of said, hey, can we try a bass? And he said, absolutely. So we picked up a bass and went back there, and that was kind of it. Um, and, yeah, he recommended to me that I check out Victor Wooten. So through Victor Wooten, I got to the Flectones, and through them I got to Jeff Coffin, the saxophone player, started listening to stuff kind of on the back end, came in, and yeah, my family was musicians too, so I had access to a lot of music. Right on. So what about jazz? What mm -hmm. musicians really got you going in the beginning? Yeah, sure. Uh, the first jazz record I think I really uh, listened to a lot, the, the first one I really paid attention to was Michael Brecker, Time is of the Essence, and that was one that my brother was really into, and we, you know, he used to drive me to school because when he got his driver's license, we would just, he would take me, we went to the same school. Yeah, he played that in the car all the time, and I really like that album. It's really heavy, you know, it's got Elvin Jones, <laughs> Pat Metheny, I think three drummers on that, Bill Stewart, Elvin Jones, and Jeff Tane Watts uh, with Pat Metheny and Larry Goldings on organ. So it was a pretty good way to get started. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. So what was that first upright bass like? I mean, it's a big instrument. When you see it from the crowd and being somebody that's never played it, you know, it's, it, it almost looks like a daunting instrument. Did it feel natural? How, how has it grown on you over the years? It looked like it was going to feel natural, but it really didn't. It, it took, a, <laughs> took a while because, um, yeah, I started on electric bass. And, you know, growing up in Topeka was cool because Topeka's it's kind of small. Um, but we had stuff like the Topeka Jazz Festival, and uh, my father would take me to that every year. So I was—I grew up seeing guys like Bob Bowman, Gerald Spates, uh, James Albright. I would see Steve Rigazzi, a lot of these guys that are that are still heavily active here in Kansas City. I grew up watching them play, and I just remember one year just thinking how cool it was. I think it was the same year that Ray Brown actually was at that festival. And I didn't know who Ray Brown was. <laughs> My dad was like, you should go see this. Uh, and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And we went in, and I think I, I sat there and I looked at him for a while and was like, yeah, let's go get lunch. <laughs> so 
<laughs> maybe my biggest regret musically. Yeah, I started to see those guys play, and I think I think we went to see Dave Holland play, and that was it. That was when I said, I want to try this. And my high school had upright bass, like student basses that they had in the corner, and I just asked the band teacher if I could take one home and just start working on it, and he said yes. So I took this beat-up old bass home, and I just started practicing, and it was really, really unnatural at first. But, it, you know, it, it came together. I think coming from electric to upright was maybe a good good way to start. Interesting. So you've had some really great teachers over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, you were one of the first classes to be with Bobby at UMKC. Curtis Lundy, you went to New York City for a while. So let's kind of peel back the onion layers of this education that you've got as a jazz musician. Let's start with Kansas City and Bobby's program down there at UMKC. Yeah. Bobby is definitely one of my biggest influences. He's been probably the best teacher I've ever had anything in my whole life. So I owe him the world. I think a lot of people feel the same that have come through that that department there. Um, And we're just really grateful that he decided to be here and do what he's doing. One of the things that he did so well was also bring in a lot of really great artists to work with. He would bring them in regularly. Um, People that I don't think that you would really be exposed to normally in a, a conservatory in Kansas City or in, you know, any city that's not New York, basically. Um, so he was responsible for me meeting, like you said, Curtis Lundy, uh, guys like Michael Carvin, who's been just another huge inspiration to me. Yeah, he brought in just so many people. I mean, Nicholas Payton, Bill Saxton, you just, it's just countless people. So he would bring these people in, and I got a chance to work with Curtis pretty early on. And, yeah, he really transformed my whole approach to playing. And I remember our first lesson, he just said, I don't want to teach you how to do any of that flashy stuff. We're not going to learn, you know, we're not even going to worry about soloing right now. I'm going to teach you how to work. And that's what I do. And I am going to show you how to do that so that you can work. Because <laughs> especially <laughs> as a bass player, that's what's important. So I think it was really responsible for showing me a lot of skills towards, you know, making this actually a, a viable career, something that I can do long term. So you went to New York for a year mm-hmm. and came back. What was that year like? You know, obviously New York is the cauldron of jazz, but that had to be a huge growth experience. Yes, um, New York is the cauldron of jazz, and, and I'll just go ahead and selfishly say so is Kansas City. <laughs> Good, um, but yeah, New York is just bigger. There's more people, and it's it's a place you go to get your butt kicked, and that is what happened. You know, it's it's rough. It's a rough place to live. It's a rough place to be a musician. The gigs don't pay very well. Um, there's a ton of guys competing for all the same stuff that you're trying to do. And it's just, you know, it's crazy there. So I was really glad that I went and spent that year living there on my own after school. I I did not go during school, which I think was the right thing to do. Nothing against people who do that, but, you know, it just wasn't wasn't right for me. And I'm very, very glad that I did that. Unfortunately, I had the opportunity, but in the end, I just kind of ran out of money. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Kansas City being a cauldron, you know, I never, I, I never like to bring any pretense up that any city is better than any other. We just have cradles of jazz in this country, and obviously mm-hmm. the Kansas City scene is flourishing. 
There's so much going on. All I ever do is hear great things about it. So my question is this. Why is Kansas City such a great place to not only be a player in the jazz scene, but to witness it live? There's a good mix of opportunities to just do, as I said earlier, to just work, to work in the clubs, to get experience playing behind vocalists, to do, you know, just like the day-to-day stuff. So there's this kind of undercurrent of really good chances to improve every day get out on the grind and just do what you do. And, you know, a lot of guys, myself included, take every single gig as an opportunity to get better. And, you know, you just kind of go day to day thinking of what you're working on, what you need to get better at, and you go. And it's just, uh, you know, it's – I'm not really sure how to how to quantify that. It's just really, really good for – musicians in general, especially rhythm section players. Now then, on top of that, you have these opportunities, maybe less frequently, but that are really, really crucial and important to do things where you're playing for like maybe a smaller group of people that is really listening. They're there to pay attention and hear you play. So you've got the Spine Showcase, you've got the Johnson County Community College uh, noon recitals. Uh, there's There's all kinds of stuff like that that goes on. Lori Chandler's project that she's doing, you know, and I'm sure there's just tons of stuff like that. So it's it's a really, really healthy way to be a musician, I think. When you guys get on stage collectively as the scene, I always, it almost looks like there's an effortlessness that goes into what you do, but what you're doing is actually difficult. And I realize that the more I witness live music. My question to you is this, more specifically. When you get on the stage and you do what you do, what's your personal philosophy? What do you want the audience to take away? What do you bring into a stage? Oh, man, that's a good question. There's a there's a part of that that's different every night uh, where I think you've got to go into it being open to the mood of the audience, the mood of the other musicians, <laughs> your own you know state of mind, and what's happening because every time you go play it's a different energy and you've got to it's kind of your job to read it and match it and then if you're good enough to transform it that's kind of my goal i think generally is to be very very open to what's going on everybody's different we can just say that and i can say as a basis that part of what i do is managing everybody else's expectations and trying to be a pillar of the music and a strong point for people, like a home base for them to play off of. That's my general philosophy. Right on. So at this point, you've obviously dedicated your life to jazz. You've had a long winding road in it. Are you happy with where you're at in your jazz career? Yes and no. I I definitely wish I was able to do more. I think everybody does. But where I'm at right now, I like the opportunities that I have to play. I like who I'm able to play with. I like that I more or less have a choice and that I've able I've been able to carve out my little corner here in the scene. I definitely have goals, but I'm also, you know, not going to be just a musician forever. So there's there's that too. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, me going into medicine as well. But yes, I think in general I am very happy with where I'm at right now, and I'd like to just continue to improve. There is always that yin and yang, so let's do talk about the medicine. Kind of talk sure. to me a little bit about this duality. 
it has been an interest of mine for a very long time. And I think when I came back here from New York, I realized that I needed more in my life. I needed more than, than just playing and doing the gigs. And obviously, I think it's kind of uh, stereotypical to move back from New York and be really kind of <laughs> dark and, you know, a bit jaded. And that does happen. It wears, wears off over time. <laughs> but it is true. And I, I think I came back here wanting more. And my life path just led me to studying science. I decided I wanted to go back and study psychology at first. And I looked into getting my PsyD or a PhD and realized that with the amount of school that it would take for me to get from where I was at to being a practicing psychologist, I could practically go to medical school and do a residency in that amount of time. So I just said, let's check it out. I started taking pre-med classes at UMKC. I ended up really, really enjoying the physical sciences and the richness that that added to my life is kind of indescribable. It's almost the same as music. It's just a, in a different way. Uh, it does different things for my for my brain, for you know what I think about myself and my place in the world. So I really enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to exploring that career as well. Right on. So for the purposes of this show, since it's jazz, I'm going to ask you this, and not to pigeonhole you and say other musics aren't important to you, but why do you love jazz? There is a you know, not to be too cliche, but there is a freedom in it. I know, especially depending on who I'm playing with, that when I when I go on stage with, especially with, with my peers and the people that I play with the most, there is a trust level there to where we can do whatever we want with the music. We can be free to explore and go places that we don't even know it's going to go. And just kind of, you know, give up the ghost, as they would say, or just let it let it hang and just see what happens. I think that's the most attractive aspect of it to me. There's a there's a really heavy mental component, which obviously, if I'm going into science, I really appreciate that. And then there's also this kind of unspoken, you know, soul connection that is very very important. And it's the only style of music I've ever played if you can even really call it that. It's the only style of music I've ever played that I feel like was very, very much larger than me. And I could connect to something that was bigger and that was helping me and that was nurturing me in a sense and that was giving me opportunities. You know, it's it's funny. I was on a panel discussion uh, last fall with Chuck Haddock and several others, and we were talking about the the just the wide array of jazz and what jazz means. And the interesting thing is every single time I ask why people love it, the number one answer is freedom. Yeah. You know, it, it is. It's, and it always is. And, and that's the thing that's always reverberated with me. And I know sometimes it might sound cliche or, or, or certain things, but that's just the feeling. And that's great. I mean, that's, that's what mm -hmm. you want in anything. So my final question to you is this. Everyone has an interpretation or a version of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans. But you know who you are best. So tell me, who do you think you are? <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> who do, who do you, you think you are? Who do you think you um, are? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got good questions. You're stumping me. Okay. Who do I think I am? I am somebody who wants to do good in the world. I want to do good for myself and my family. 
I want to find a balance between what I need and what is good for the world around me. I think that's a that's something I'm always looking to because I think it's a responsible way to live. I think balance is probably the best word if I had to pick one to describe myself. Whenever I'm performing music or interacting with people, I'm always trying to find that, whether it's a balance between my mood at the time and their mood at the time, both of our individual goals or our needs, and just going forward, just looking looking at it. I think jazz has been a good teacher that's in terms of living in that way because that's the name of the game is give and take. You go on stage, you give a little, you get a little. Uh, you give a lot, you get a lot. Right on. That's a great answer. Ben, thanks for taking some time out for Neon Jazz. I look forward to seeing more that's coming out in, in both live performances and in CD form. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Ben for his music, his time, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.